0: This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK12. And by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated star trek books and comics show i'm christopher jones and with me once again as he is every week coming to us from the icy land apparently of dallas texas it's matthew rushing matthew i know you guys just had an ice
1: storm down there recently didn't you Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, sorry, Chris, but just <laughs> just getting home uh on the, the one horse open sleigh. I mean yeah, Texas was and Dallas was hit by a huge ice storm for us. Uh and uh well, you know, ice just does us in here. Um and, and all yeah. those people up north, yeah, I lived there, you know, I know what it's like in the snow, but ice is completely different, guys. I mean, ice, you don't really want to drive on at all. You know, snow, you get traction, all that kind of stuff. You get those roads cleared up there. You're used to it. I want to see you drive on an overpass in ice. That's right. So before you start (laughs) making fun of us, come try it out for yourself.
0: Now, I know that you lost electricity for a while. You tweeted that you had no power. Did you, did you put some rocks in the room and did you phaser those to stay warm?
1: Well, Chris, I was going to, and, uh, I pulled my phaser out, but apparently, uh, it was out of power as well. It, it, it oh. apparently the ice storm, uh, some sort of electromagnetic ice storm had drained all the power of everything, even battery power. And so, uh, I don't even know how I was able to use my cell phone must've been running on some sort of fumes at that point, but, uh. Yeah, I had I actually lost power for a while. I almost uh, over a day. So wow. Uh yeah, it was it was not enjoyable. But hey, I I ended up going to a friend of mine's house on on Friday. Uh I actually had to work from home, even though it was my home, from his home. And uh and then I went to my sister and brother-in-law's and spent the night there and got to play with the niece and nephew. So it actually turned out to be kind of fun. Um But uh, yeah, it was a long weekend (laughs) and uh, (laughs) yeah.
0: Well, let me ask you, Matthew, during this time, I'm hoping that you're going to tell me that your friend, when you were at your friend's house, that he took lots and lots of photos of you working at home and everything that was going on, because if he did, I want you to share that album with me because I'm going to take those photos, I'm going to piece them together and I'm going to tell the whole story of your hellacious ice storm weekend in a new photo comic that I'm going to publish as part of Trek FM.
1: Oh, is it called Matthew's Big Day? <laughs>
0: it is. <laughs> it's, called, it's called the Matthew Ice Annual 2013, oh, which is very man. similar to the name of what we're going to talk about here that at the beginning gonna... of the show, which is the Star Trek Annual 2013 from John Byrne.
1: That is going to be a huge seller, Chris. Uh, I think we have. Uh, I think we have paid for the website for the next year with that. With that <laughs> idea. So
0: everyone is going to be snatching this up. I oh know.
1: goodness, it's going to be sold out at comic stores everywhere. Oh, you're going to want a signed issue, number one. So I'll get that for you. Uh, you just send those to me. I'll I'll, I'll sign it for you.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. So so let's jump into this. Now, today's show is going to be slightly different than usual because we don't really have news to talk about. It's going to be more like a three-feature type of show. We're going to talk about the John Byrne Star Trek Annual 2013 comic and our general thoughts on the concept. Then we're going to actually review con number three, and then in the future, we're going to discuss the tng book a sea of troubles which is the first book in the slings and arrows series so uh kind of three primary segments today so matthew let's go ahead and jump into this first one here you and i both have this john byrne comic we've talked about it here on the show for a long time and kind of speculated on what we thought it might be like if it was going to work if it was not going to work now that we've seen it what do you think about it
1: you know chris you would get those uh you get those storybooks, like the story, the movie storybook of you know Return of the Jedi from the library when you were a kid, and you're really excited mm-hmm. because it was the movie in pictures. They were just pictures straight from the movie, so it was like watching the movie, but it was in a book. So apparently, I, this is really I think what John Byrne was going for with the comic. It, it, it was supposed to feel like an episode, like you were watching yeah. an episode in in just picture form, and. It's a good idea, and what I want to say here for anything else is, actually, I think the story here is great. It fits in perfectly with, say, um, a, an original series episode. Um, now, obviously, we didn't get this kind of continuity like they're doing here because they're going to go back to Delta Vega and, and deal with the repercussions of um, Gary Mitchell and that whole issue that they dealt with, you know, and Where No Man Has Gone Before but, um, and, and I think that's fantastic because it really works to me. It, it just, the, the medium itself, I felt like I would have been better served if I had maybe had photorealistic artwork or just plain old comic book artwork done really well than maybe yeah. this style. But it it's not like it doesn't com- work at all. It, it's just, there are some points where I think that the, the manipulation work with the computer and the, the Photoshop and to get everything just right, it just it doesn't work enough to kind of not draw me out of the story instead of drawing me into the story. Um, but otherwise, right. I mean, the storyline itself is fantastic, and, and this is the kind of storyline that they want to do with these. That's great. It, it's really good writing. I mean, John Byrne's a great writer. Uh, to me, I just don't know if the medium is it's not really my fa- It's not my thing, you know? I mean, it, it's a comic book, not a photo book.
0: Well, it, yeah, this is what he was going for because there were these old photo novels and there were, I think, 12 of them produced in 1977. The first one was released in October of 1977. And uh, on the cover, it says, 300 full-color action scenes. Photo novel number three, The Trouble with Tribbles." And they were done by Mandela Productions. And it was just taking scenes from the episodes. And like you're talking about when you mentioned the Return of the Jedi type thing. It's that very very same thing. And they didn't sell well at all. And it, it they realized that it was... Uh, there's actually a bit in the comic here towards the back. And they, and they talk about this. And they say that the lackluster sales made it clear that the photo novel adaptation was outdated even at its inception. And I, it is kind of what you're saying here that when I was reading through this one, I was thinking that it's an interesting idea. I can see why John Byrne wants to do it. I can see myself as as a designer thinking about doing something like this as well. Like I've I've sometimes gone. I want to put together videos, so I'll go through uh, episodes and I'll like take little bitty clips from different episodes because I want to piece them together into a video, make like a music video, something like, well, you see these on YouTube, right? People do. Right. I mean, and... the,
1: the one right now is is Captain Kirk and the crew singing, you know, Right. Uh, singing. Let it snow, let it, or let make it snow, so, yeah. make it snow, make it so. Right. So I mean, which is hilarious.
0: Yeah. And it's really well done. And the thing about it, though, and I was watching that video the other day, and I was thinking that the person who put this together has to know the episodes so well to be able to go and pull these lines out because it's very time-consuming and so when I'm reading this and you're talking about how maybe you just want to have photorealistic artwork if that's what they want to do but original artwork and I was thinking the same thing that it's actually I think more time-consuming to do what they've done here than it is to actually just illustrate this stuff from the beginning, because you know what image you want, you know, you see it in your head, what, what it should look like. And if you can draw it, just draw it instead of going and sourcing and then doing all the Photoshop work. And it would actually, I think be faster because, uh, did you read in the back of this, there is an interview with John Byrne and they talk about how he put this together and they ask him like, how long did it take and such?
1: I was reading some of the interview and I didn't get to completely finish it. And it was interesting, you know, just the what goes, behind, you know, into this. But it's mm-hmm. also, I mean, again, I think that you really hit the nail on the head that it seems like this is a lot more work than putting together a real comic. And now I understand, I think... I think like you said as a creative person this is something that is is really different for john burn to be able to do and so i, I get that it, it, it reminds me of wow he might really hate this comparison but it reminds me of when when garth brooks decided he was going to be chris Gaines, uh for the movie that he was going to do uh-huh. and they released the cd and everything and he had this persona that he created and it didn't work at all um and so all you got was this random CD out there floating in you know half price stores everywhere, uh, the best of Chris Gaines or whatnot. And this just reminds me kind of of <laughs> that yeah. experiment. Like it's it's um it's a it's a interesting idea. It it seems like it would work better in your mind than it actually does on the page. But it, it's I don't know. It's kind of like a train wreck. I couldn't stop reading it because again the storyline was really good. But the artwork, right. I wasn't really paying attention to the artwork on it most of the time. I felt like I was kind of skipping the artwork and just reading the text because the text was great. And if I looked at the artwork too long on some of them, specifically, it really pulled me out, um, especially when they start melding the um, really old series, the Where No Man Has Gone Before with you know the, the season three type of look and everything and trying to put right. it all together if it's the same you can tell the picture quality from what they're working with is not the same at all. Yeah. And it just, it, the, the Photoshop can only do so much to really make it work. Right. And so it it's just a really interesting thing.
0: Yeah. And he talked about that in the interview as well, that he tried to avoid as much as possible using clips from our scenes from season three because of changes to the characters and the hairstyles and such. Um, you know, I'm kind of, Maybe on the flip side of it from you where, no, I agree the story is very interesting. So the story, I think we can both say, is uh, is a strong point of this comic. In terms of the artwork, I guess because I'm a designer and I can imagine doing this myself, like in terms of Photoshop, I I, I, I can imagine the process of exactly what he did here and how I would do the same thing. So what I did is uh go through and I really focused especially in the the latter two thirds once you get out of the the very plain straight out of the episode steals when he got into the point where he's doing more photoshop work and he's really combining different scenes together I started focusing more on the artwork just to see what his thought process was what different scenes he combined together and uh, what sort of other visual enhancements he made to the scenes. And ultimately, I, I, I found it very, very interesting. I'm sure he had a blast putting it together. But I think in the end, I'm with you that I'm not sure that This is like a novelty, basically. It's Mm -hmm. not something that, you know, they talk about the possibility of doing another one and maybe doing it as two regular issues. And then a while back we heard a mention that he said he might be interested in doing it as an ongoing series of comics. And I, I don't know. I'm not sure that there is a market for that. It kind of feels like what they talk about in the back of the book here where the original photo novels didn't sell well. This also seems the kind of thing that it'll be fun to read an issue of it But then you want to go back to your ongoing style comics and have original stories and original artwork.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, you know what? I really think too, and um, in some ways I, I feel like, and this is just me personally, but I'm not a person who feels like I can go back to the original series over and over and over again Um. Because I I feel like it's overdone. It needs to be special for me, you know. So this, even though I don't love the artwork, the storyline's great. I don't think they could redo this kind of storyline every time they want to do it. In the same way, you you can't have you know like say Dayton's from history shadow, Chris. You know every single time you write an, uh, um, a a TOS novel, it it just can't happen mm-hmm. because th- those ideas are are special and I think few and far between. Not to say that any of the TOS novels say this year have been terrible or anything. No, I mean, I reviewed them all and I read them all. Um, but I, to me, it's just TOS needs to is something you can't go back and do all the time. Um, it needs to be special in that way. And for me, that's what has made Ongoing so good is because they can kind of use some things every once in a while from the past, but at the same time, they're really charting their own course and making something new something fresh that in a lot of ways that I've never seen before. And I like that. Yeah. But that's just me and my, my personality. It doesn't, I don't think it speaks for most Star Trek fans, honestly.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. And I think special is that this, this issue could be considered that and it can have its own place. I'm just not sure that I am that interested in, in a series of these things either. I, I think what will be interesting is to see if this is this outsells the, the Matthew Ice Weekend 2013 comic that I set well, up. I don't know, forget. Chris.
1: I mean, I did take some <laughs> really spectacular shots that day. Um, and wow. And when you combine them with my Bajoran wine, um, <laughs> then I, I think that you're really going to have just a fantastic... I mean, it could be an entire weekend uh, that yeah. you would just want to spend with the comic and with well, probably copious amounts of my Bajoran wine, so... Probably so.
0: The one other thing that I'll point out here, Matthew, to you is, I thought on page 43, when we see Pike's number one, Majel Roddenberry, Mm -hmm. on the screen... Yes. She did her hair just like yours. I I thought that that was going to win you over.
1: Uh, she tried. (laughs) Um, yeah, she does have that gray streak on the side, um... Which is funny because, yes, it uh, mine's not quite as pronounced as Yours hers. Yours is not quite as no, pronounced as hers, um, that's right. Now, yes. I've got the gray streak there. Uh, it's pretty bad. What can I say? Um, but, uh, yeah, she definitely wins in skunk-like, you know, gray streaks. <laughs> She's got the best. She really does.
0: The, the other one I thought of was Data in All Good Things where he yes. has the gray oh, streak gosh. and he says that a, a, a hint of gray adds a distinctive Flare, whatever yeah. the, the exact yeah, line is, yeah, something
1: like that. Uh, goodness, anyway, An air yeah. of
0: distinction. Yeah. All right, well, I guess that's uh, all we really need to say about this one. Uh, do you recommend anyone picking this up as a novelty to to experience it once?
1: Oh yeah, I, I, you know, Chris. Even though I don't entirely love the artwork, I really do think the story is is a is a solid piece of work. Um, I think uh, it's just a proof that John Byrne's a great comic writer. Um, he knew the series uh, well enough, I think, to to really uh, blend this all together and and do a really good job of that um, to create a compelling story. I think for for Kirk to build off one of his most uh, harrowing and 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 just god awful moments of the series, the choice of you know to have to kill your best friend because of what they become and and the re- the I don't want to give it away, but just the ending is 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 really good. So I, I would say that this is something that you should pick up especially if you do like tos um this adds very well to the canon and and well i say canon even none of this is canon uh it's just it's just what we enjoy but it adds very well to thinking that this is something that did happen for kirk and kind of let him let go of some of that pain he kind of carries around all the time
0: yeah all right. Well, let's let's go on to the con comic now and talk about con number three, which um, I had convinced myself that we had talked about this before, Matthew. But apparently, uh, I guess I was talking on Twitter or elsewhere about it, and we haven't really reviewed it yet here on the show. So uh, we, we've both read this one as well. I know we've both been really enjoying the con story through the first two parts. And uh, I remember what I said on Twitter about this. I read it. I, I actually read it before it was released. I read the, the review copy that we get from IDW. And I, uh, I tweeted that when I got to the end, I just yelled, Con! Because <laughs> I want the rest of the story right now. You know, it's like it's pulling me through and I'm really into the story. And I want to know what happens next. And I'm disappointed that I have to wait another month now.
1: I, well, not only have to wait another month, you have to wait two months because this is a five issue uh, series. Yeah, so, to get to the very end. Exactly. exactly yeah. So, um, yeah. and I think that's the thing that's really helping this series. If I if I do say uh, any great kudos for IDW is making this a five issue uh, series instead of trying to cram it all into four. He's he's really been able mm-hmm. to. Um, Expand uh, this storyline. Give each thing its due. Um, not rush it, but also not feel like he's padding it all. I don't think he's doing that at all. We're getting a really interesting and in-depth look at this character that they created for the film, and I'd have to say, really does a great job of filling in this character for when you watch Into Darkness. And it makes it much more complex than than even thought, um, especially with this issue. I think. You know, Chris, uh, just overall, this issue covers the point after all the augments have taken over the Earth. Right. They've split it into their own territories, and Khan begins to tell the story of of what happened next uh, and, and what each place was like. Now, because of the fragmented information uh, from that time period... Uh, you know, Starfleet, Kirk, Spock, all these people, they have very little details about exactly what it was like. And so for them, they all just think of this as as just being basically another World War type of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Nuclear bombs going off all the time, all this kind of stuff. And Khan gives them the full story, at least from his point of view. Um, And what do you think about Khan's character in here? Because I was really taken aback by the revelation of who he is as a ruler. Right,
0: yeah, it is really, really interesting. So, uh, well, before I answer that, this is the spoiler warning for everyone because this is a review of the comic, not a preview. So we are going to talk about various things that happen in the comic here. So if you haven't read it yet, you may want to read it before you go on with this uh, part of the show. But yeah, it was. I mean, one thing I was thinking, Matthew, was that Okay, first, what you said a moment ago, how this plays into Into Darkness, I really think that once everyone reads this comic, you'll be able to watch Into Darkness in a completely different way than before, and the fact that Khan is in the movie will strike you in a whole new way, and you can really have more appreciation for the character that they really didn't handle that well in the film, in terms of why is he the person in the film This really ties it in very well. And then to the question you just asked, Matthew, I was thinking the same thing when he starts telling the story. Now, you did say it's from his perspective, of course, right? So we, you know, of course you're going to see yourself as being someone who tries to do good for people. But assuming that the story that he's telling is reasonably accurate, uh, you know, it feels like he he is someone who wants to he wants to control people, but he also wants to make life better for the people who are under him. That he's a reasonably benevolent ruler, which you would not think based on the kind that we see in Into Darkness and where you feel like when he's being helpful to Kirk, he's only doing it as a means to an end for himself so that he can get over and get Marcus.
1: You know, and I... He reminds me; he has a, a a feeling, a little bit of the idea of the founders, where he wants to be in control mm-hmm. because he longs for order. But mm-hmm. it's a benevolent order, in, in that he his desire is to rule in the way that that the idea that I am made to rule, I am made to keep order, so that people can have successful, abundant lives, free of chaos, right. free of hunger. Basically, the I mean, trying to create. The, the ideals of the Federation, but with an absolute ruler to keep those right. rules in check, um, which which is one it is a really interesting idea is, is can that happen? Um, He's
0: not in it purely for personal gain, like some of the other right. augmented leaders that we see in the comic right. are, at least according to him,
1: which is is very interesting. Um, yet at the same time and and throughout the entire comic series so far we have seen those glimpses of the person that he can be um, mm-hmm. and, and then kind of tr- morphs into, a, you know, throughout the into darkness film. And, 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 and he, he has some of those tendencies that you then see in con and um the uh, original film and the original right. uh, space seed. And it reminds me of this, this con reminds me so much of the con. We remember we were reading ruling in hell, Chris, the yeah. comic series with the right. other con comic series. It reminds me of that con, the one who right. yeah. could understand that Kirk had beaten him, he had the respect for Kirk and all this kind of thing. Um he longed basically to just to be able to take care of his people at that point on the planet. He figured you know, that I, they would I think be okay. A good
0: way to describe him, I think, both here and in Ruling in Hell, is that he's someone who wants to build things as opposed to someone who just wants to conquer things. Like you can, I mean, you can think of it like conquering a world, but really, even in Ruling in Hell, once they get on Seti Alpha Five, he's determined, well, we're, we're going to build a, a civilization here, right? We're going to build a place where we can prosper, which is different than being a tyrant.
1: Well, and it's interesting too, because as you read through this comic, you realize he's the only one who's been able to, stay away from that kind of tyrannical type of rulership. Every right. one of the other leaders has kind of given in to this lust for power, lust for material possessions, all those kind of things and and he has all that, but it's because he's been given all that. And it very much reminds me actually of the idea of um in the Bible, you know, God tells Solomon you can ask for whatever you want and he asks for wisdom and God says you have chosen wisely, basically, kind of like uh the end of um, the last crusade. <laughs> um. So uh-huh. not only will you get, you know, wisdom, but I'm, you'll then get riches and glory and honor and all these things that go with it. You know, Khan's chosen a wise way of leadership that makes people love him. Therefore he is, he has everything that all these other rulers are trying to get by coercion and, and, you know, threats and fear when realizing that if you really just make people love you, then you get all that stuff and you don't have to worry about them trying to kill you. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's really it's it's very interesting. It's very wise. And it's really interesting to see in this comic this this kind of play out for him in this yeah. time period.
0: Well, let me ask you too here what's also interesting to me in in that respect is that uh, there's the bit here where he talks about the nuclear war and that in North America there was uh nuclear war actually in the Americas. So I I I think it includes the um at least Central America, anyway. The uh, North America becomes known as the Great North Wastelands because pretty much everything has been destroyed. But he says, I adapted nuclear power to more optimistic ends. Together with my ally, Maltavis, ruler of the South Pacific, I designed advanced spacecraft capable of travel within the solar system, which explains how they have the Botany Bay in the first place and they're actually able to leave Earth in the 90s. But it also, what I find more interesting about it is uh, today, I mean, if you look at a country like the United States, which has the resources to develop spacecraft like that, if they put their money into engineering and scientific uh, research and development instead of building military aircraft and warships and fighting wars all around the world, the other rulers here, they have chosen conflict but Kahn chose to put his resources into developing technology and into developing spacecraft that would enable them to explore the solar system and expand uh, scientific knowledge, expand uh, the options you can think about in the future as Earth recovered. If there are problems of overpopulation and such and we need to expand off of the Earth, they then have the technology to do that because he put resources into that.
1: Yeah, it is interesting and I mean obviously his other main reason for doing that is is it's his backup plan for if he has to leave the planet um if you know there's because he he doesn't have the resources to fight off you know a huge invasion from his other yeah. like augmented buddies um, and, augmented uh, buddies I yeah. like that. <laughs> augmented buddies my buddy and me um,
0: I think that's going to be uh, when I reboot Bosom buddies. It's going to be augmented buddies. buddies. That would yeah.
1: be awesome. Well, and and what's so interesting then is you get his friend Malchus turning on him and attacking him and and basically forcing him to that point of having to leave. Um, what I thought was really interesting though is that it turns out that the uh, humans have um, engineered a a virus that is attacking the genetically enhanced. Um, And so he uh, says this great line about how it was their own hubris uh, of not being able to hold humans in high regard after who they, because of who they are that, that led to their downfall. And uh, I thought that was really interesting is that they keep underestimating us. And in fact, Khan still has this problem in, in the darkness, he keeps underestimating us. He underestimates Kirk, Spock and, 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 Scotty and and Ahura and all these people um, because he he you know he doesn't see what can happen when you can band together and work together and so it doesn't matter how smart you are if you're only one guy so
0: absolutely so so yeah that goes on and yeah they develop the the virus and that's what uh, ultimately does in the rest of the Augments and pushes Khan out into space. And uh, that's where the story ends. And that's where I yelled, Con, because I wanted to know more. And here we are left hanging with the Botany Bay going out into space. Con! <laughs> I- I'm going to do mine more like William Shatner, though, and less like Zachary
1: Quinto. Oh, that's probably a good call. Yeah. Okay, I'm ready.
0: Con! Con! God, God, got to get the echo going there it's a little yeah, tough that's to so, that's so that.
1: true we're gonna to have to add some reverb to that on the the playback <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so um overall what do you think now, the artwork i think is just fantastic once again i especially love because they're showing this past time frame and uh the way that they do the world maps the way that they do uh, the scenes of the cities and all is just really really beautiful
1: yeah, it is really good. Uh, I mean, this is, again, we've been talking about it. This is a standout series. They've been doing a fantastic job. Uh, they've been taking, I think, everything that in some way, I mean, God, shouldn't this have been in the movie? Like a 10-minute like flashback scene? You think that been... often when you oh, read these, gosh. don't you? I mean, I really do think uh, somehow, some way in Into Darkness, this would have just added some... Um, just a serious amount of awesomeness to the film and and what it really helps you understand this character better. And it just shows that they really did have a great idea for who this con was going to be. You know, when they, they talked about the whole idea that, you know, they, they wanted to write a villain that didn't have to be con. They, so they wrote a villain that, okay. So now that he isn't con, well, could he be con? Okay. That's great. All works. Just give me this backstory Somehow in the film as well, so that I can really understand who this guy is. You know, like right. maybe even start the movie off like that. How awesome would that be? Well, I mean, you you know that's you could Lord of the Rings with a with yeah. a ten minute prologue. Why can't this be the ten minute prologue? JJ, just make a two hour and fifteen minute movie. It's fine. I'll sit there.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that, as you were talking right there, that's what popped in my head that I want to ask you two ways you could do it i think as for star trek fans for those of us who have been we know who khan is we've watched the wrath of khan countless times and we're kind of put off going in by the fact that khan is in the movie you could do it at the beginning and you could have some of the stuff that explains the back history of khan and how he ended up where he is in the movie i think that would work for us as star trek fans for the general audience I think that might bog the movie down for them. It might, uh, put it, it would be lost on them because they're not actually looking for that explanation like we are as Star Trek fans. And so then I'm thinking that maybe the scene where Kurt comes down to the brig and Khan gets all emo about how he was, you know, woken up by Marcus and all that, maybe at that point you could have some flashbacks as he's remembering his past and you could have some of the stuff that's here in the third issue in particular as he's recounting this during the trial here in this comic keep it fairly brief but just enough that it gives it gives you some reason to understand this character what he's been through and why he's doing what he does as the movie goes on do you think one would work better than the other do you think do you agree oh, that one would work better for star trek fans one for the general audience ah. or do you have a different view?
1: That's really tough. I don't I don't know. Um it just seems like the you know, the movie starting off in Nibiru and all that and then having Khan show up with the daughter and everything, it's it's almost as if the movie had started off maybe as an action scene of Khan and his people running to the botany bay to get on to escape. Um You know, and Mm -hmm. them blasting off and a flashback scene of as that's happening, Khan's talking about this is why I'm here. This is how we got to this. We thought we were going to make a better world. We thought we could rule benevolently and blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And so that happens. And then you see the the Botany Bay in space and it being picked up by Starship, which you think is going to be benevolent. And then it could, you know, then it stops and then it goes to Nibiru and then you jump yeah. into the movie after that and you don't see Khan again until he shows up with these mysterious people saying, hey, I can save your daughter. I mean, that's creepy and weird. Like you, you're you yeah. like, OK, how did you get from there to there? And then you have that scene in the brig where he can kind of fill in the backstory of the ship that found him was not good. You think it's gonna be good, you got found by a Starfleet ship. Or you think it's gonna be the same maybe as is kind of what happened in the original series with Kirk and Khan, but it's not. Yeah, obviously. So I think that might have just worked.
0: I think that would work too. I, I think uh, I think we need to talk to Bad Robot and find out why you're hired to help write the movie.
1: I just, you know, I feel like Bob Orsi and I would be great friends. Um, I, You know, I, I, ca- I can call him Bob. I think we're close enough. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, I, I respect what they were trying to do. I just, I feel like as we read this comic and, and we, you yeah. know, Orsi is, is a part of this. He, he, they have a part in the, in these comics. And I feel like they did have a great story to tell here. Um, I, I'm sad that it didn't find its way into the film in some ways. Because, as we both said, it really does make Into Darkness a much better film after reading this.
0: Exactly, and the fact that Orsi wrote the film and is doing this as well, it's, it's the same person. It's like, why, yeah, why couldn't you put some of this in? Well, I just encourage everyone that uh, you know, if you are on the fence with Into Darkness, if you Really don't like the Abrams vs. Khan, which is what someone told me on Twitter the other day when I mentioned uh, that I had read the comic and and uh and I said, Well this series is actually quite interesting and it really adds the character and they said, Okay, well maybe I'll I'll go check it out then. Uh I just encourage you to read this series because uh now you may still not like the Khan character in Into Darkness, but you know, maybe like for Matthew and me, you'll find that this actually Makes you feel a bit better about the movie. It makes you feel a bit better about Khan being in there. Because it's certainly doing that for me. All right, Matthew. Well, it was good to go through this comic. And, and now, when I think about it, I can know that we really did talk about it. And I'm not just losing my mind as <laughs> I get older. <laughs> All right. Well, before we jump into the the feature here and talk about slings and arrows. Let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this week's show, Squarespace. Squarespace is the web's best hosting and CMS that, as we tell you every week, makes it really simple for you to create your own blog, website portfolio, or online store. It's just a really, really great, really easy way for you to build an amazing website just using your web browser. You don't need to know anything about HTML coding or any of that stuff. Of course, if you do uh, you can put it to good use uh, using code blocks. You can customize CMS if you'd like, but but again, you don't need to know that stuff. And it allows you to you know do anything from just share your thoughts on any topic that you like to building a huge web presence for your company, or uh, even building an online store selling physical or digital products. Uh, also, it's great for if you're an artist or a musician, and you want to share your artwork or your music online, they have really great Easy to use content blocks that you can drag down for those, uh, you know, uh, great slideshow features, built in audio player as well. Very easy to embed videos as well. Wonderful, wonderful platform. And uh, the pricing is really great, too, Matthew. It starts at just eight dollars a month. You can get unlimited everything for sixteen dollars. If you want to use the commerce features, which include the integrated Stripe system for accepting credit cards, online payments, and such, and managing orders, that's $24 per month. Now, Matthew, we always talk about uh, the things that we like about Squarespace, and of course one of them is the design focus. I recently changed my blog design. I don't know if, you, if you've if you noticed that, but I, uh, I changed the template that I was using, and I've just gone a little bit more on a... Uh, Focus just right there on the copy, right there in the middle of the page, pretty much black and white, in fact.
1: You know, Chris, I was just uh, thinking about that, actually, while you were talking. I was thinking, you know, Chris's blog really works well It kind of showing off all the things that Squarespace can do, whether it's photos or, or the blog part. Um, your site really does a great job of just showing how Squarespace it displays the content. It helps that shine yeah. through. It doesn't put a lot of gadgets and gizmos in there that that kind of draw you away from what you're trying to get forward to the people that you're, you know, you whether you've got a you know e website or uh, e commerce website is what I mean, <laughs> or you've got your blog or you've got photos or any of these kind of things. Squarespace just makes that pop.
0: Yeah, yeah, they really do. Yeah, my my site now is very minimalistic. It's kind of as i've gotten older you know i've been a designer for about 20 years and as i've as i've progressed i've become more and more minimalistic in my my design and so i i was really glad that squarespace has some great minimalistic templates that, that i could choose from and and like you said i just um you know i do have photos on my site i do have videos on my site uh, a lot of text but yeah just keeping it simple but of course there are also some very uh, beautifully designed complex templates there with with lots of robust features as well if that's what you're looking for I also like the connected accounts feature, Matthew, because I, you know, I have all these different social media accounts. It's really hard for me to keep track of them and keep going to all of them here and there. And so I love the fact that I can have my site tweet out automatically when I put up a new post. I can share a page on Facebook. I can, um, I do like to snap photos with my iPhone and I upload those to Instagram when I'm just you know, taking walks and I'm out and about around town, you know, I find some interesting, bizarre Japanese drink flavor in the vending machine or things like that. And, and, uh, I have that uh, integrated right into my Squarespace blog as well with the uh, Instagram integration. And then there's uh responsive design as well, because I read a lot on my iPhone and on my iPad, as well as my desktop. And I'm sure that, uh, you like most people listening here do that as well. And so I love the fact that Squarespace reflows my blog so that it looks uh, great on all those different screen sizes and um, and also videos. I talked about this with Michael on the Ready Room this week, I believe, but uh, because I do put videos on my website, I like the fact that it automatically scales the dimensions of the video if it's for the desktop, if it's for uh, a smartphone or whatever, so I don't have to worry about uh, how that's going to look to people when they come to the site. Uh, And then there's the commerce feature, which we mentioned at the beginning as well. This is available in the US, UK, Canada, Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Spain. And you can sell physical products, you can sell digital products. Uh, There's 30 second merchant sign up with Stripe. Since you're already a Squarespace customer, there's no paperwork to do. You just get instant approval. And then in a matter of minutes, you can begin receiving money for purchases via direct deposit. Uh, Full tax and shipping rules by region is really wonderful. Also, the order management interface lets you easily track outstanding orders, resend customer update emails, and print packing slips all from that one interface. And if you already have an online store somewhere and you have inventory like on Shopify or Big Cartel, you can just move that right over to your Squarespace Commerce site with just a few clicks. But Matthew, you know the best way to find out how great Squarespace is, and if you want to, you know, take a look at my blog and see if you want to do something like that, or just go to squarespace.com too and. They have a template section where you can actually preview all the different templates they have. And you can see actual sites using them as well. And uh, find the one you like and then just sign up for that free trial. It's 14 days, absolutely free, no credit card required. You get access to all the tools in Squarespace during that time. And you can also import your existing website from WordPress or other platforms as well and play around with it in there during that 14-day period and uh, see how great the tools at Squarespace are. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's just $8 per month, $16 for unlimited, $24 for the commerce package. And as a track of Film listener, you can save 10% off your purchase by using offer code TREK12. And doing so helps us bring literary tricks to you every week. So it's a great way for you to get a great website and help us at the same time. So just go to squarespace.com to try it for free. Remember to choose the annual plan and you'll get a custom domain registration for free as well. And uh, we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and the network.
1: In 2007, Pocketbooks decided that it wanted to celebrate the birthday of TNG, its 20th anniversary. And to do that, it decided to create a great mini book series, an ebook series called Slings and Arrows, which would celebrate the year between Generations and First Contact and how we got from the end and the destruction of the Enterprise D to the brand new Enterprise E that we see in the film, which they are at the end of their Shakedown Cruise. So this whole series revolves around that. Now, What's interesting to note is that First Contact takes place in early 2373, and then the Dominion War begins in late December of that same year. So, the Federation faces these two big events very close together. So actually, very interestingly, this first book in the series, A Sea of Troubles, takes place on the Enterprise-E as it's on its Shakedown cruise, and focuses mainly on its troubles with the Dominion, and a changeling. Chris, this is a fun series. We decided that it would be great to, to look at some of those those small e series that they had done, and I'm really glad that we started with this one. i read it before, and I, I enjoyed it, um, but it's always great to me, honestly, to be on the Enterprise E. I'm a huge fan of the Enterprise E, and I really like um, getting a, a picture of between generations to first contact because there's a lot of big changes that happen from the movies in this series does a great job of that year between really filling those in and kind of giving us a picture of the fact that the enterprise wasn't useless in the dominion war they were doing some things before that really worried about it just as much as everybody else was really enjoyed that part so chris what did you think of the book
0: oh i love the book it was my first time to read it uh i like i like these books that fill in gaps so if you go back also like the Lost Era books, you know, these books that fill in the time periods where you know something was happening with our characters but you don't know what it was because the TV series or the movies just jump and you know, so what was going on. I also like The Length of the Book because it's a very quick read. It's something that you can just sit down and you can just read it in one sitting. Just just read it straight through which I love doing because you really feel the entire story that way, as opposed to, you know, reading a book where you've got to come back to it over the course of two or three days and it's kind of broken up. So that was great. And you, you mentioned that it focuses on the troubles of the enterprise during its shakedown cruise and the changeling. It also focuses on Lieutenant Hawk. So another thing it does is that it, it provides you some depth to the character. Well, specifically Hawk who we see in first contact. And just like when we were talking about the con comics and how they add more to into darkness. I I think this is another case where this, as well as other stuff is going to help us kind of know who Hawk is a little bit more when when you rewatch first contact, instead of just suddenly seeing this new guy sitting there on the ship who, who turns out to have an important role in the movie.
1: Yeah. I think that that is, is completely on the nose. Um, you know, that's really what this this I think this whole series is gonna be about. And and uh there's a there's a great little scene at the beginning of the book where Picard and his crew um have been in this kind of dangerous area where they've been playing this war game with the USS Samson and uh trying out all these new maneuvers, these new shield techniques, all this stuff, uh in preparation for what they may face with the Dominion. And um, they're also going to be getting some new transfers as as the ship is is continually changing uh, as the crew has changed. From the Enterprise D, obviously, Wharf isn't there anymore. Those kind of things, and then some just interesting changes. Obviously, had happened in um, the end of TNG. The film Generations had had introduced some changes to us as well. So one, Picard was changing the way he was a captain for the first time in in many many years. And then, of course, Data had been given his his emotion chip, and so dealing with some of those repercussions here, and, and one of the things I like is that this new amount of staff is coming on to the Enterprise from the Samson, and um, Picard says, I'm going to go down and meet them in the transporter room, and, and Riker's kind of shaking his head, scratching his head. And uh, Picard has this great line. He said, it's a new ship, number one. Perhaps it's time for some new traditions. And I really think that this is what is is really good about the series. It's kind of helping set up those things that we'll see then in First Contact. Now, a little caveat. It can be a little heavy-handed in the book. Um, some of the things in here are setting up things too much in the sense of, like, it's, it's, it's a little fan-wanky, if we can say. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't always terrible but i mean you know when um riker is 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 mentioning some new techniques he's been thinking about to fight off the dominion with gaseous clouds and and he gets interrupted <laughs> because he's thinking about what he, the move he's going to do in basically insurrection right it's a little bit much um well, ma- so, maybe
0: he didn't get interrupted by, by someone. Maybe he got interrupted by his own thoughts because he was thinking about doing that move and then he just started thinking about the Trill and he just kind of lost his train of thought.
1: Well, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, I know what you say. Um, the Just starting at the beginning, though, the um, battle, the war game that they're going through, now, this is a point where they did kind of have me there at the beginning. Like, you don't know what's happening. You think it actually is some sort of emergency, some sort of conflict that's going on. And then you find out, oh, they're doing a war game. So I thought that was pulled off quite effectively. But then as you go on, it, and tell me what you think about uh, the, the first time. I mean, I even made a note about it where there are the, the new officers beam over to the ship And then they start talking about, oh, I think one of them might be a changeling. And then they're immediately making, they're hinting that, oh, it might be Linda Addison. And it was just obvious to me. And I felt like one of the flaws of this book for me, even though I said I really enjoyed the book, is that I feel like, apart from those fan, you know, winking at the fan moments, that every time they try to set up some sort of suspicion, it's so... It's so transparent that I'm never even wondering. It's like I've already figured it out the moment they start trying to set it up. And I don't know if that is the result of it being a short book or whether it's just we've seen this played out on DS9 so many times with changelings that we kind of know how it works already. Or Mm -hmm. if um, it's just the writing is maybe just not quite as good as it could be to set those things up.
1: I think the thing is is that this is 2007 by that point we had seen all of Deep Space 9 you know so um, we've seen everything that changelings can throw at us Um, so it's hard to be um, fooled by them anymore Um, we we know kind of all their tricks Uh, the thing that I liked that as you said most of it's kind of choreographed was the very end of the book which their plan that Picard has at the end with with Riker that he comes up with I don't really know what's going on I'm kind of following along with them and I'm kind of guessing that it's going to maybe turn out something like it does but I don't know how it's going to turn out like it does and so and I don't know who he's they've talked to that's in on the plan and who's not in on the plan because they keep that part out of the book obviously to give you that surprise as it all turns out so that part I thought was that that's where it was good the 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 suspicion of who's the changeling it was pretty obvious immediately yeah. who the changeling yeah. was.
0: Well, and not only not only with, with with Addison there, but even when and I I guess I should say spoiler alert for some of this, although, you know, if we're gonna discuss a book, it's pretty much a given that we're gonna get into these things. When the changeling is trying to get the shakedown log records and goes down to engineering as data. Didn't you assume from the very moment Data walked in that Data was the changeling?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was one of those points in the book where I was just hoping that it'd been written better. Um, yeah, you know the, the 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 way that it's written, the question that Data asks is so transparent. I mean, obviously, it's going to bring alarm bells into your head as well as Jordy's head inside the story. Um, you know, Jordy's not an idiot, so. Uh, anybody asking this question, they already know what the changeling's looking for. The fact that Brazenly comes walking into engineering to get it was, was kind of silly. And then, of course, obviously, you realize as well, jordy has been playing into the changeling's hands on purpose because Picard and everyone have set this up. Uh, so really well done on that scene and that point as well because that's not something you expected to have happen that they had already been playing the Changeling in the first place. So that part I thought was great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, I felt like I, get, I know it's a short story, but, uh, I, I do feel like the writing could have been done better to make the, the mystery a bit more complex. That's kind of my, my, yeah. my one
1: complaint. Which there. like, I think you're right. It is hard to do, um, when you have a short story and there's only so many pages. I mean, we've got 86 pages of story. That's not a lot of time to to get into a really complex deal. Yeah. And just <laughs> speaking of fanboy moments, I think one of my favorites was uh, when the Changeling uh, is uh, turning into people while she's talking to Picard. And uh, she turns into Troy. And she's talking about how she likes being females because of their, you know, enjoyable yeah. form their softer form and she's is troy i was thinking total fanboy moment from the <laughs> 80s you know somebody who just fell in love with you know the boob outfit troy you know it, yeah it just very funny to me there's it, a total fanboy moment at that point <laughs>
0: Well, you know, what's interesting, too, about this changeling, and you mentioned at the beginning that you always like being back on the Enterprise E and you you love that ship and all. This changeling loves the ship as well because this changeling basically has a sexual crush on the Enterprise E because the changeling likes the lines of the ship.
1: Yeah, this was an interesting thing. And I think what made the character of the changeling good was that it was different than what we had seen before it wasn't oda it wasn't Mm -hmm. lost it wasn't uh, the founders it was a changeling who had been away from the link for a very long time and had really grown fond of being able to transform into different types of aliens and live their life and see what that's like it didn't want to be one form but it did enjoy being in a form Um, and and getting to experience what life is like on all these planets and well
0: it says that it has been thousands of different people sometimes for minutes sometimes for hours sometimes for weeks or months and it wants to be thousands of more people over the course of its life so it really does want to just jump and experience things and i think that plays into the story a bit as well where there's this feeling like Well, Picard brings this up quite often that, you know, you're not going to destroy the Enterprise because, you know, you we know how you feel
1: about the Enterprise.
0: You're Mm -hmm. not you're not going to destroy this ship.
1: Well, and and it was interesting because when they're uh, when she is first having this conversation with um, Picard, when she's she first kind of comes on the scene and, and they found her and they've had this confrontation between each other and she's trying to negotiate with Picard. Um, she says that um, you know, her difference as a changeling maybe that comes from an earlier time period, and this idea that there were many links on their world of origin and not just one great link that was interesting. Yeah, and we got we we I think we were talking about this maybe a few weeks ago when we were talking about Odo, uh, maybe in the orb, mm-hmm. this idea of you know how do the changelings work? Can yeah, they create did. new changelings? And it you mm-hmm. kind of got this feeling that you know, uh, changelings used to travel and they were, were able to create new links on new planets as if maybe they were able to kind of somehow have children and they've stopped yeah. doing all of that. So this whole thing made me really want to see that more.
0: Well, not only new links on different planets, but even within maybe I felt anyway when I read it, that it implied that even on one planet, there were multiple links on the planet and pieces of one link would break off and go and intermingle with pieces from another link. So it really is like procreation. You know, It is. it really is a, a solid concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean that as in the solids, as the founders call us, of, of individuals from a different uh, locations or cultures or societies or whatever, intermixing with one another to create something new and that was a really interesting twist here on the idea of the link that I don't think we've really had anywhere else before have we
1: yeah I don't think so and so I even had you know underlined that here in my, the digital book just that that was just a really interesting scene kind of giving us a peek maybe into what it's like um it was like to be you know the founders and and yeah uh, a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away. Oh, that's an that's another, that's another <laughs> franchise. But um, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And and so this whole story is you know basically the shakedown crews of the Enterprise. They are doing the war games. Um, the Samson is actually destroyed. They've beamed these people over beforehand turns out one of them is a changeling and the whole thing turns into basically like a deep space nine episode where changeling's loose and we're trying to find it. And yet what makes this one different is that this changeling has a different personality because it's been away from the link for so long. And I think that's what created a more interesting story for me than, than if it just been a, a, malevolent changeling all over again, because this one has a mind of its own an idea of its own. And it, it, in some ways it's lamenting the fact that the dominion is going to create a war with the federation because it enjoys exploring the races of the federation. Right. So all of that just made, created a really interesting psychology to me to read about. Um, and, and it, it made it from just being kind of a okay to be book to being, Oh, this is a really, this is a pretty good book.
0: hmm. Yeah. Another thing that sets it apart from a DS9 episode where a changeling is loose and we have to find it and makes it a TNG story is that Picard gets to quote Shakespeare to the changeling. He says, Were thou the unicorn, pride and wrath would confound thee and make thine own self the conquest of thy fury. You would never hear Sisko say that to the female changeling.
1: That's true. I, I don't think that <laughs> Sisko would quote some Shakespeare. He. um. Oh my, what would Shakespeare, I mean, what would Sisko He would,
0: quote? he'd probably sing like a little jazz rift or he would, uh, mm. he would spew like world series trivia or something like that.
1: That, or, you know, I was thinking that if Sisko's going to quote somebody, it would be more like a Marcus Aurelius type of thing, you know, uh, that's going to be the guy he kind of quotes, you know, he's not really going to be quoting Shakespeare at you, um, or maybe some Sun Tzu or something. I don't know. Yeah. That that seems more like a, a Cisco quote. But yeah, I thought this was really interesting, this idea of Picard um, facing this enemy. And, and you, you see in this book, too, that Picard is facing this melancholy because they've been worried about the Borg, and now the Dominion is on the horizon, and there's these two things, and obviously this is before first contact, so that hasn't happened yet. And Picard seems to be kind of weighed down in this story in some ways, He's been through a lot, you know, and he obviously feels very responsible too. He even has this whole conversation with Riker about um you know, this idea of is he really responsible um, you know, for, for what board, happened, like Wolf Three And He says and, yeah. this is he says I you know, I came face to face with a species who would not talk a species with a dialogue with which dialogue and negotiation was impossible, which is his forte. And the only language the Borg understands is aggression, violence, and reprisal. That is perhaps why I feel so strongly about the Borg. Not merely because they, uh, the threat they pose or the countless fellow beings that they have killed or the atrocities that they have visited on me personally. It's because they drag us down to their primal level in the name of survival. Yeah. How they rip away our veneer of civilization and bring us down to the very worst in what we are. And then he says, you know, so I look at the future... And I see the Dominion waiting there, and I have the, much the same hopeless feeling as I do about the Borg. What will we, we be driven to before this war is over? Even if we're victorious, what will be the price of our souls? Yeah. And uh, setting up perfectly, I think, this idea of, of what's going to happen if First Contact and and then, of course, what's going to happen in the Dominion War. And we see that in the, in the siege of AR-558 and uh then you know you you see that um in this choices that cisco has to make so very interesting now chris i wanted to ask you this scene here you talk about this idea of a faceless species the borg yeah. man does does voyager just bastardize the borg or what <laughs> you turn him into somebody that that janeway can yeah, negotiate with i know well that's I mean, what
0: we've talked about you know yeah. on warp five recently we talked about uh, regeneration <laughs> uh as part of a Mm-hmm. i another discussion, but we talked about it a little bit. And one of the points I made about why I like regeneration, you know, a lot of fans don't like the fact that the Borg were on Enterprise, but what Enterprise did with the Borg is they returned them back to yeah, what to they were scary. in TNG, which was this, you know, faceless enemy that you can't talk to that just comes at you relentlessly. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, yeah, Voyager kind of in that. Yeah.
1: You well, know and even by making the Queen... In first contact, there's still this faceless crazy enemy. She's not gonna be talked out of anything. She's just the face, you know, of of the crazy. So now
0: (laughs) now she did she did weaken the Borg, though, but they had I I think they had to have that character in order to do a feature film with the Borg, because there has to be some single A villain that that you your heroes can actually come to face to face with you have to have something
1: that you can pile on the whale's white hump all the sum of all the rage and hate yes
0: but in this book here you know i also highlighted the section that you were just talking about and and i think that it's it really highlights to me for the people who have a problem with deep space nine the people who have a problem with the fact that there is this long war arc that takes place in that series and that it doesn't have a place in star trek and it's not you know it's not gene roddenberry's vision of the future this utopian future i actually think what picard says here and i love hearing it come from picard's mouth highlights why war is necessary in star trek in the first place because if star trek is exploring who we are, how we are as as humans and and mm-hmm. how civilizations work and how we get from places of darkness into better places, you have to talk about this stuff. And exactly what Picard says here, I think, it, it shows that mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine got it right in having that conflict take yeah. place because it really does bring out the question of... You know where does war push us, and what will we resort to? I mean, even B- Bashir brings that up when they're in past tense and they're walking through the, the, um, the district there in San Francisco, and, and he even says, you know, what what does it push us to?
1: Well, and Picard says this great line to Hawk later. He says, "War isn't about justice, Mister Hawk. Like so many of our deals, war leaves little room for it. It's one of those countless ways in which war." Necessary or not, diminishes us all. Right, and yeah. they really do a great job in this book of of setting up this looming threat that's going to come, and and little do they know, um, that the Borg are going to come first, and and then you know the the Dominion War will start not long after that. So, um, this is this is one of the things that I really liked about this book is is giving you a little picture of. What's going on with these characters? Say like Data with his emotion chip and trying to deal with that, and the the, the struggle it is for him to uh, all of a sudden, after so many years not having to deal with anything like this, and then trying to do his his work uh, on the Enterprise as efficiently as he used to, without allowing the emotions to affect him. Getting to know Lieutenant Hawk, which was interesting. Um, throughout the books, I've, I've known that they made him a gay character, but they actually make it quite explicit here for that reason, because it plays into the story. So that's something we find out. Um, And I I think it's great in this book, uh, really watching Captain Picard um, slowly try to become a different type of captain um, and then working him into that. And he's not really all that comfortable with it. In fact, there's a great scene where there's been this awkward moment before we know Linda's a changeling between Hawk and Linda right in front of Captain Picard and he's thinking to himself after everybody leaves the transporter room, Oh, now this is why I didn't get involved with the personal lives of my crew because it's messy, (laughs) you know? And, and do I really want to do that? You know? So he's still kind of second guessing that decision in some ways. Um, and so I, I, that's what I think really makes this, um, as, as there's sometimes the writings a little uneven, but the storyline is strong enough to carry me through, and the characters are, are something I care enough about to carry me through. So I really do like this book. I think it's really good.
0: Yeah, I have um, I have a couple more things I wanted to touch on here with you, though. Uh, for you know, we're talking a lot about war and and where it pushes us, and about the Great Link and the changes and all. What is it good
1: for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in there.
0: <laughs> the problem with that is that every time I hear that, even though of course I. I I I know the source. I picture Elaine Bennis throwing the planner out the window.
1: Ah, yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Oh goodness. Um, you know, we're talking about all these kind of social issues here, though, but if you are interested in the in the tech side here, there are a couple of interesting things here in this book. You know, there is the talk about the fact that the blueprints are for the USS sovereign, these are for the enterprise E, which kind of uh, you know, says explicitly that. You know, the Enterprise-E wasn't the USS Sovereign that was redubbed with a new name or anything like that. It's actually, here's yet another ship that they built, the E. They made changes to it. They modified it. What I found particularly interesting, though, Matthew, was this explanation of how the holodeck works on the Enterprise-E. And that it was the most advanced holodeck. And they describe it like if you're you're in a room and you see a sword on a table across the room, you're looking at a hologram. But as you approach the sword, if you're going to pick it up, the, the replicator system actually replicates a real sword that you then pick up. And then if you swing it at someone, the safety mechanism would cause that to change back into a holographic projection so that it could cut the person. And I was just picturing like, constantly in this holodeck stuff's being replicated and then dissolved back into holograms over and over i had never thought about that before
1: well i mean yeah and i was kind of pictured that that was how the holodeck worked anyway because obviously if you pick something up it has to i mean we all know it has to use replicator technology
0: well but i don't know because i've always felt in the past that it used force fields to make things tangible as opposed to actually replicating mm. them the way you would I guess replicate... I never,
1: I never thought about it that way. a real object. Um, huh. Except for, you know, I mean, like if it was a something really big, like a tree or whatever, Yeah. I always imagined that, you know, if you eat in the holodeck or, you know, you are, are you know, picking up yeah. something or whatever, that it becomes a an actual replicated object because it's easy for the computer to do that. But it's interesting because it makes the... Holodeck, a ginormous replicator.
0: It does, right? Well, according the way I read this book anyway, that's not how it worked prior to the Enterprise E. Right. This technology has somehow been advanced to make it work the way that you are thinking that it it -hmm. worked all the time. So I thought that was a very interesting little bit of technical information that's in here for for those uh, readers who are really, really into that type of stuff. And they talk about a lot of the you know modifications that were made to the Enterprise E. Uh, I found it odd that Starfleet would continue to use these old Miranda class vessels, which is what the Samsung is, to test out new technologies. And and why would you do that and, and integrate new technologies with systems that just can't work together?
1: Well, it seemed like what they were trying to do was find ways to upgrade old ships because maybe they're worried they can't keep up with the Dominion. Um, Yeah, I guess it's it's, and so their idea was seriously a Miranda
0: class ship going up against a Jim Hadar attack cruiser. I'm with you, Chris, right there with you. I don't get it either. (laughs) I
1: think it's silly.
0: All right. Well, the the one other thing I wanted to mention was uh, I thought there was a really nice bit here where and it goes back to what I talked about with the changeling being in love with the Enterprise because it likes the lines. And they say to Riker, they say, Commander, for a shapeshifter, what would be more attractive, more important than shape than form? And a hawk says, I think it finds the Enterprise's shape pleasing in a way we really can't understand. It's not sex, but it's close. It's like, and then Troy smiles and says, chocolate.
1: <laughs> yeah, we all know Troy substituting chocolate for sex. So. Yeah,
0: we know. We 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 did the game on the ready room last week. Yeah,
1: and- exactly.
0: Got a little bit of when Harry met Sally or when Deanna met Chocolate going on in <laughs> there and right. forward. Um I'll have the but,
1: truffle she's having. <laughs>
0: exactly. But more to the point on this is that there's also the part where the changeling says that that, you know, it's true that the Great Link is a collective consciousness, but I have been away from the Great Link for a long time, and I have, you know, lived amongst you for a long time. And I, and I find that the longer that I'm away, shape and form becomes more important to me. And what I saw it is that the the uh, the changeling is moving away. Uh, the changeling says, as I have remained separated from my people, my knowledge, experiences, and reasoning have been my own. In that time, my feelings about solids have changed and grown more sympathetic than is typical of my people. And what it just reminded me of is, What I think is important in Star Trek because you're dealing with all these different worlds and societies and races and all is that the longer you stay away from the place where you came from, the less you feel a part of it and the more you adapt to where you find yourself at that point in time. You know, I mean, it's like for me, you know, living in Japan, even though I'm American, but I've been here for so, so, so long that I'm really. Or Japanese now. And I thought that was just an interesting point to make about the changelings because the changelings are typically presented so much as being kind of like this monolithic race where everyone's just in this giant pool together and they're all the same, except for Odo, except for Lass. But this was, it was a nice way here of, of breaking out of that mold.
1: Yeah, I thought so too. I, and I think again, that's really just what made um, this a, a much better, book by using a changeling by giving us something we really hadn't seen before in changelings yeah. rather than just kind of oh okay i, I I've, I've seen this happen already in deep space nine this this created a different scenario and i really enjoyed um that about the book and uh, um you know i'd say on a whole this this is a great way to start a mini series i think um celebrating the the, the next generation um you were honoring the past you're helping the characters move forward you're helping connect different things we'd see in first contact and and uh insurrection and even nemesis actually um so uh, i i think that's really well done and and all all in all i I really enjoy the series i'm looking forward as we kind of continue through this and as we supplement that in with our deep space 9 rewatch now we've got our tng um readings. Yeah. So we're just trying to make all the fans happy too. So,
0: (laughs) so what would you rate this in the end?
1: Hmm. I'd have to rate this seven out of 10 sexy Troy changelings. (laughs)
0: Excellent. Yeah. uh, I agree. It's a really good book. It's, it's a really fun read. It's really quick. Uh, I do have quibbles with the writing. I think the writing is, is not Mm -hmm. well done in places but in other places it is well done you know i think the voices of the characters are are pretty spot on most of the time which is really good i just um i feel like the uh the writing is a little bit elementary at times but i i do highly recommend the book uh, it is a, a really great start to the series and i'm looking forward to going through the rest of the series i think i would give this one 3 out of 5 vials of stolen blood
1: oh good goodness that's a high rating right there <laughs>
0: really is. All right, Matthew. Well, uh, it's been good jumping into the series. But of course, we've talked about many other things on the network this week. So for everyone, here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Rewriting TOS Season 1 with Mark Krishman. This is a show that was an excellent show. Let's face it. It was, I think, one of the best shows ever made. Certainly the best show at that time. I think the best written show. Uh, because Gene Roddenberry was so determined that every episode would have a, a strong theme and make a statement. Earl Grey. TNG Season 8. Or, or no, this is it. The Traveler is a Q, and so the Traveler shows up with Wesley, Q shows up
1: and like, Q, what are you doing here? I go by T now. The Orb. System, System is Captain, Captain versus Commander. Commander. I mean, with the war and everything going on, there's a part of him that's really hardened. But at the same time, yeah. when it comes to the people that are around him, whether it's uh, Cassidy, which, you know, the idea that he would forgive Cassidy, I wouldn't see him doing that in the first few seasons. The Ready Room. Ready Room.
0: But the ending of the episode is Data flashing a flashlight. And I think that's kind of a lame ending i just wanted to bring you you wanted to say the end of the episode was data flashing people on the bridge (laughs) i know it's also part of daniel's fanfic number 58 to the journey the 37s commentary i had a dream the other day where i met robert Beltran in a macy's and i like totally geek out on him but i try to say like oh no i totally have also know you from your hispanic and native american plays and uh, like I was trying to like BS my way through and saying <laughs> I only know you from Star Trek Voyager. Did it work? Uh, I woke up. Warp 5.
1: Horror on Enterprise. Enterprise. It's not just losing control of yourself. It's the fact that, that zombies, even zombie Vulcans, cannot be reasoned with.
0: Some would say that normal Vulcans can't be reasoned <laughs> with, Kate. Commentary, Trek stars.
1: Harlan Ellison Recap.
0: But well, I also think it's entirely possible that Harlan Ellison has encountered a lot of people ripping off his stuff because he's actually a prophet, and he just saw the future and thought that's a good idea for an Outer Limits episode. Literary treks. Q and entrelaining comics.
1: Kirk is actually doing the the hands thing that he does, you know, where he's 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 trying to make a point with his hands. <laughs> yeah, that's he's right. actually doing it in the comic. It's <laughs> fantastic. It, Feels just like Kirk.
0: (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a variety of places, including iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. Or you can download or stream from the website. And if you'd like to share your thoughts with us on uh, the John Byrne photo comic, on Con Number 3, on Slings and Arrows... A sea of Troubles here. You can do that by going to the website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks and that will come to Matthew and me both by email. You can send us a voicemail through the website or you can go to our forums at trek.fm forums and talk to us and other listeners about Star Trek and the books and the comics and whatever you want to talk about. In social media you'll find us at facebook.com slash trek.fm and you'll always find us tweeting away about Star Trek on Twitter under username trek.fm Now, Matthew, you know, when you're not uh, trying to see what kind of shapes you can uh, morph into as a changeling in training, where can people find you?
1: Well, uh, Chris, you can check me out at MattRushing02 there at Twitter. That's probably the easiest place. Uh, Also, we do the orb together every week, um, talking all things Deep Space Nine. So you can find us there talking about changelings and other things got my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com so you can check out other book reviews, movie reviews, just things that are interest me. Um and then of course I do the book reviews as well here on Drek FM. So all the brand new book reviews do those on the site so you can find those. Um now Chris when you're not um sneaking chocolate from Troy's, you know, quarters, where can we find you?
0: <laughs> I am I am always doing that, you know, because um you know luckily I have her old uh, door override code. Oh, good, which, good. Um, well, a fanboy favorite. Well, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> and I don't know why this is, but it's the it's the same as Addison's code almost. You know, hers is Poe Alpha Nevermore. Troy's is Poe Alpha Chocolate Sunday.
1: Ah, uh, yes.
0: So I can uh, go in there anytime I I want. Uh, Riker doesn't like it, but you know. Can't help it. Sometimes I got to climb into that bubble bath she's got in there. <laughs> uh, so where this can we is, find you, Chris? This is where the show needs to be video so people could see your reaction <laughs> to that. <laughs> Okay, yeah, wow. you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com, which we talked about today when we were discussing Squarespace. And then elsewhere on the network, of course, besides doing the orb with you, Matthew, you can find me every week on the Ready Room, where I'm joined by hosts from all over the network, as well as special guests. And we talk about all five live action Star Trek series over there on that show, as well as Star Trek news. And you can find me on Warp 5, where we talk about Enterprise, and on Matterstream, where I interview actors and writers and creatives and scientists, all sorts of people about things loosely associated with Star Trek. And also, Matthew, before we let everyone go, we'd like to remind you again to please support our sponsors for this week's show. Your support of our sponsors makes it possible for us to bring literary treks to you every week. First, there is Squarespace. The web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today. Try it free for 14 days. Just go to squarespace.com for your free trial and use offer code TREK12 to save 10%. Plus, choose the annual plan and get a free custom domain registration. Also, there's audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. They have over 150,000 titles there on the site, lots of Star Trek books as well. And as a Trika Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a trial to see how great Audible is. So try it today. Uh, help us keep literary tricks coming to you by going to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and choose the free audio book. There's some great DS9 books there as well, a lot of great TNG books. And we thank Audible for their support of literary tricks and the network. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep literary tricks coming to you each week, and that's by going to trek.fm slash donate to get our original alien illustrations. These are original artwork pieces done by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. They're available as badges and as art prints, and you can mix and match. Choose which ones you want in which format. We have different levels of contribution that you can choose from as well. And your donations help us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring all of our shows to you each week. So we really thank you for helping us keep the
1: network going. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.